right, good morning, everyone. So if you, um, if you have your handout that has our verse on it, beginning in John chapter 20th, uh, or 20, uh, and the 31st verse, Let's read this together. These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's one. These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Going to do three in just a second. Stay tuned. Verse 30, one verse above that, explains what the these in verse 31 is referring to. So verse 30 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Here we go. These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So, what was written? These things, these signs that Jesus had been doing. Of all the things that Jesus was doing and had done, John selected the ones that he did so that we may believe and so forth. So at the end of chapter 2 of John, we saw in verse 23, Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Last week, we met Nicodemus, who also saw those signs so much that he had some questions, right? And we saw that Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a member of the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, approached Jesus at night to ask some additional questions. He got an earful to say the least. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, which we interpret as who exactly are you? Who exactly are you? And Jesus answered him not by saying, oh, well, here's who I am. 
he turns it right back on him. And as we saw in verse 3, he says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we saw that the, the weight of the instruction that Jesus was giving to Nicodemus was multifaceted. It was, um, you don't just need a tweak to your theology. You don't just need to understand by whose hand I do the signs that I do. You don't just need to tighten up a little bit in your keeping of the law. You don't just need to read Moses a little bit more. You need what? You need to be born again. We saw that that meant you also need to be born from above. What you're coming up with here on earth is not enough. You need to be born from above. More than that, you need to be born from above with a twofold birth, right? A water spirit birth. A water spirit birth. The, the water representing that pouring out and that repentance and then the spirit that new breath coming in the same new breath that Ezekiel did when the dry bones came to life and it was the breath that animated those bodies so he was bringing Nicodemus to a, a new stark reality undercutting everything that he had known to this point. And that was a lot for him to process, right? So that brings us to where we're going to pick up today. We're going to be heading into verse 9. In verse 8, it says, The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. He was calling Nicodemus out from the rule book, out from the very constrained, pharisaical life where, you know, if he was one of 70 or so on the Sanhedrin, and there, you know, there was had to have been hierarchy within that, and there was probably the official hierarchy, and then there was like the unofficial hierarchy, Who's the favorite? Who's the one that's a hypocrite? Who's the one, right? He was calling him out of all that to this spirit-infused life that was going to be unpredictable and wild and powerful and fueled by the breath of God. He was already had it going, right? So verse 9 Nicodemus, and we can kind of sympathize a little bit here. He says, I don't get it. Well, actually, he says, how can these things be? But I think he meant, I don't get it. I, I, you know, it was probably a lot of stammering like that. And Jesus answered him, perhaps a little bit mocking, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Ouch. Here Nicodemus has come thinking that, okay, I'm a rabbi. He's kind of acting like a rabbi. He's got disciples. He's got some miracles. I've got to give him that. But he didn't really have credentials. 
and now it's back on him. Now Nicodemus is on the defensive because Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know this? In verse 11, we have our third, truly, truly, our amen and amen, our listen up phrasing. Jesus says, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. So who's this we? Who is this? Again, the scholars speculate. Is he talking about his disciples? Probably not because remember the disciples were about as clueless as Nicodemus was most of the time. So they weren't really saying profound things. Is he talking in a Trinitarian point of view? We, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and me in the flesh. Is he talking about that? Maybe. What most of the people I read settled on were that Jesus is still giving it back to him. Because remember back in early in the passage, Nicodemus comes in verse 2 and it says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher of God. And Nicodemus doesn't really say who his we is. <laughs> so now Jesus is coming back at him saying, well, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. In other words, we know a thing or two also. Again, he's kind of, if you follow that line of reasoning, we would say he's messing with him a little bit, right? He's messing with him a little bit. And I picture Jesus saying this not in a mean way, but maybe in a teasing way, say, well, all right, we know, you know, kind of just poking him just a little, loosen him up a little bit, you know, he's a Pharisee, he's a he's buttoned up, you know, he would have had whatever the equivalent of, of a tie, probably, you know, and, and I, I just picture Jesus poking him just a little bit, just to loosen him up a little bit, kind of break up the ground a little bit so that Nicodemus can better receive what has yet to come. Verse 12, he says, If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So think about that. So when Nicodemus says, How can these things be? and Jesus comes by and says, Well, how can I even talk about heavenly things with you? I think he's either interpreting from Nicodemus or perhaps he's guiding Nicodemus into the frame of reference that we're not just talking about the here and now and the concrete. Whether you know it or not, we're talking about 
big ticket stuff. We're talking about heavenly things here. So what are these earthly things that he was having a hard time with? It says, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, can you believe I'm telling you heavenly things? So what are the earthly things? Maybe the maybe the breath. You know, he's talked about the wind and the breath. Maybe that. Uh, he's talked about the water and, and maybe the significance of that. And we talked about baptism. We talked about the ritual cleansings. Uh, I think Jim mentioned this last week. Um, you know, they were, you know, those are maybe some of the earthly things he was talking about. Um, uh, what does a birth look like? What does a rebirth look like? And Jesus is saying, you, you got to expand your, you got to expand your thought process here. You need a way bigger picture than what you think you've got. So now we head to heaven. Verse 13, he says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Apparently back in the day, there was teaching among the Jews that Old Testament, we would call them Old Testament saints, Moses, Elisha, and so forth, that they had gone to heaven, so to speak, and that they were somehow active and and somehow participating down below. I, I don't really get the concept exactly, but this concept of somebody going to heaven and then maybe the spirit of Elisha or whatever coming down and having some influence on earth, that was kind of a kind of a belief. So Jesus is undercutting this and says, no one has ascended into heaven and then descended except the Son of Man. And that Son of Man, of course, is this reference that Jesus applied to himself, which came from the book of Daniel. And he's saying, in essence, only the Son of Man has you know, existence in both of these realms, in both of these realities. And so who else but the Son of Man to be able to talk to you about earthly things and heavenly things and about how these things go together. And you got to think that by this time Nicodemus is really uh, thinking, uh, I, got a lot to, I got a lot to learn. This is not going the way I thought this was going to go. Additional instruction, verse 14. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, we recognized and highlighted last week that Nicodemus, of course, was fully versed in the Old Testament and these, you know, Ezekiel references and so forth would have been very familiar to him. Well, now here's another Old Testament reference that Jesus is specifically calling out as Moses lifted up the servant, uh, the serpent rather, in the wilderness. So turn with me to Numbers chapter 21 and we'll 
see this story. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, then comes Deuteronomy. This is Numbers chapter 21. So in this part, while you're turning, um, the nation of Israel has been wandering, right? Uh, They had their chance, um, they fumbled the ball, and now they are wandering. They may be wandering too, but they are definitely wandering. the first uh, few verses of chapter 21, it talks about um, a run-in they had with the Canaanites, and, and God delivered the Canaanites over to them. And then verse 4, it says, From Mount Or they set out by way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. Now this is kind of funny, right? God brings them to the promised land and they take a pass on it and they're wandering around and they are the ones that are getting impatient. They became impatient on the way and when people become impatient, what do they do? They grumble, they complain, they whine, they misbehave and sometimes worse. And verse 5 it says, And the people spoke against God and against Moses, saying, Why have you brought us out, up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food, this worthless food that they don't have. Right? Verse 6, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. <laughs> And they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. So, you know, there are times when in Scripture where, you know, the people ask God for help. And he is often gracious and gives them help. And here we just have a bunch of whining and complaining. So he doesn't send help. He seems snakes. He sends fiery serpents, it says. And they bit the people so that many of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said... We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So here we have a a story, um, really a a snapshot of how God deals with his people, right? We have a whiny, rebellious people, an ungrateful people, a people that are not honoring God, speaking against God and his leadership, a rebellious people who are misbehaving, right? Then we have some judgment. We have some punishment. Rightly deserved, 100%. We have some grace. We have Moses interceding on the behalf of the people, and we have God being gracious and making a way 
out for them. We have participation in that process where the people would look in faith on the bronze serpent that was made and then they receive that healing that God provided. Here we have it. So looking at this rebellion punishment grace, faith, all those elements let's look at this in a slightly different way going back to John you can keep your finger in numbers if you want Um, it says as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up Lift it up. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. This word lifted up, again, John throws a double meaning at us. Last week we saw born again and born from above as being the same exact words. But the context told you what they were talking about. We saw breath and spirit being the same word, the context telling you what was being talked about. Here we go again. Lift it up. Lift it up meant two things. It meant exalted, elevated, glorified, It also, in the context of Roman occupation, meant crucifixion. Yeah, that prisoner's going to be lifted up next week. That's what it meant. So here we have John saying, As Moses lifted up, exalted, so to speak, the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and you got to think Nicodemus was trying to figure out what to do with that phrasing. What did he mean by that? And he's probably still left with his original question. Who are you? Any Princess Bride fans? The movie The Princess Bride? If you haven't watched The Princess Bride, you should. A dozen times. There's a couple of places where um, the, uh, the man of mystery um, encounters some people, and a couple of times after their encounters with them, they say, who are you? Princess Buttercup, on her encounter, asks the masked man, who are you? And he says, I'm no one to be trifled with. And that is all you need to know. And you got to think that that Nicodemus is thinking, I don't know who he really is, but I'm not sure I want to mess with him. He's no one to be trifled with. Lift it up. Isaiah chapter 52. 
verse 13. You can turn there if you want. It says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Would Nicodemus have known this passage? Isaiah is pretty famous for passages about the coming Messiah. I kind of think he knew that the Messiah to come was going to be high and lifted up. He knew this. He knew his history. And now Jesus is using this same terminology about the Son of Man being lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Well, this is, this is a new way of connecting with God, right? This isn't offering a sacrifice. This isn't um, laying your grievances out before the Sanhedrin. Uh, this is someone, the Son of Man, being lifted up, exalted, glorified, and the person simply believing in them, in him, and thereby obtaining eternal life. That was not a construct that Nicodemus would have been familiar with, per se. It wasn't... I mean, if you think about it, a lot of the sacrificial system was kind of transactional, right? There's a sin, we're going to kill this animal to somehow cover that sin. It's like a trade. This is really different. There's belief involved here. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the first time the concept of eternal life shows up in John. We talked a little bit about whether Nicodemus was going to get to see the kingdom. So we kind of knew what that meant. But remember, there was a division among the Sadducees and the Pharisees, components of the Sanhedrin, about there was there even a life after death. Remember, there was a contingent that didn't believe in the concept of a resurrection at all. But here we have all this thrown together. There's Moses... There's a son of man being lifted up slash crucified. There's a lot going on there. John chapter 12. Returns to this theme. 1232. And Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Again, when I'm lifted up, he's basically saying, when I'm crucified. Now, you know, you might say, well, how did they, how do you know that's what he was saying? Jesus sometimes wasn't all that clear. But here we have one of these, and we'll run into these off and on. We've already run into some dads mentioned these little, it's almost like John puts his footnotes in there his parenthetical remarks, his explanatory remarks, editorial remarks, you might say. Look what it says. 
Verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. In verse 33, John informs us, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So John knew he was referring to, and his disciples knew he was referring to, when I'm, Christi- when I'm crucified. There's idioms, right? If you were on death row, and some, or you knew someone on death row, and somebody says, yeah, that day when I take that walk, we know, we can imagine what he's referring to, the walk to his doom. Yeah, when I take that walk, he didn't mean taking a walk. Just like Jesus didn't mean, you know, when I'm carried on the shoulders of my supporters, no, he meant when I'm crucified. And throughout John, when, when he uses this word lifted up, it's, that's what he's referring to every time. I'm probably going to cut it short here because you may have heard of this verse that comes next, John 3.16. It leads into another section. We may cover that in some detail next week but this is a good place to think about Jesus and his connection with history which is basically what he just gave Nicodemus a little history lesson now we recently covered first and second Samuel right and especially in the latter part who is like the main preeminent character David And we look to David as somewhat of a type of Christ, a royal ruler. Um, In fact, you know, the Jews look back, the city of David, and, you know, we're going to have someone sitting on David's throne because David had been promised that his throne would endure forever. And the comment was made that Jesus is the better David. He was everything that could have been foreshadowed positive about David, but just better than David, the ultimate David. Well, here we have Jesus being the better Moses. We have Jesus, I mean, Moses did signs, right? He did lots of signs. Jesus did better signs. We have Moses rescuing his people. We have Jesus being a better rescuer of his people. We have Moses leading people once they were collected. We have Jesus leading people. Moses was a prophet. Jesus is a better prophet. So every time you you think about Moses, you can think about Well, Jesus was a better Moses. Right? He was a... Moses had a system, right? Given by God, of course, but, you know, there was a system. Jesus has a better system, and he's in the process of unfolding that, and we'll see that as things go by. All right. Questions?
comments? Leftovers. I like leftovers. Yes? So, so your Bible says, when Jesus says we, your Bible capitalized it because the we was referring at least to himself and maybe other deity. Uh, some, some Bibles will capitalize the names of deity. Yep. What else? I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Thought the same thing. <laughs> the only thing I can think of is that there must have been like a mountain involved. Uh, yeah. Or maybe it was a local outbreak of rebellion. I don't know. I don't have it. I thought, I thought the same thing. A portable stick. <laughs> and a really fast runner. What else? Yeah. The method was there, but you had to believe that that was going to work. Absolutely. Karen? Do we know what Nicodemus did with this information? Uh, I think we can make some guesses, and we'll, we'll make some of those guesses later in the book, but um, I think most people feel that he converted and that he became a Christian. All right. Um, a couple of uh, things as you get ready for next week. Who has a red letter Bible? Okay. So what's the what's the point of a red letter Bible? The words of Jesus are in red. There have been songs written about this, right? So for whatever reason, well I I think I know, but um, that red letter Bible is um, kind of a, a somewhat of an interpretation. It's somebody saying, these are the words of Jesus, and we're going to put them in red. Now, it kind of seems kind of obvious, right? Well, Dad has always been a proponent of not having a red-letter Bible, right? Because it has an influence a little bit, and it may mislead you a little bit. Maybe. So I want you to read John 3.16 through the end of the chapter a couple times like you normally would sometime this week. And then I want you to read it a few times 
as if Jesus didn't say that. From John 16 through John 21. I want you to read it as if John said it. All right? So there's your homework. How often do people do their homework, Pat? <laughs> All right, so this is because there's, here's a spoiler alert. There's debate on this. Who said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Who said that? What you thought might or might not be true. So, all right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that ultimately all of it was spoken by you and that we can trust it. We thank you for Moses and his legacy, and we thank you that his actions can point us to the greater Moses, to Jesus. We pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can... Um, have answers that maybe Nicodemus didn't have at this time that we can get to know you because you came down, you descended you were able to tell us what heaven was like you were able to tell us what God was like so in Jesus name we thank you for all those things Amen Thanks everybody